everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to bring you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone's having a wonderful start to the week. And yes, I've been away for well over a week now. I'm back here on the podcast. I know it's been a while, but I had a long week of work last week and I tried to do the podcast and I was working from the morning to the afternoon. And I was saying to myself, can I get it home just in time to, to do a podcast? And there just wasn't enough time to record it, then upload it. You know, I try to do these every single day and not just do it once a week or twice a week. I want to kind of stay up to date and give you guys my thoughts, perspective, and keep everyone up to date on the movies and TV stuff going on. So it just didn't feel right if I was rushing it through and writing my notes and everything and doing my work as well. So I wanted to make sure that I had enough time. And I do have some off days this week that I'm going to be making sure to devote it to the podcast. I'm going to have a few reviews coming out this week as well. I'm going to be catching up on a bunch of films that I missed as well. So there's going to be a lot of stuff coming on the Sam Bissell podcast in the next few weeks to come. It's just last week was a, was a crazy, crazy week to, to fill up the schedule and they needed some replacements here and there. So that's the week that it was. But I'm here ready to talk to you guys. And even though I was working a lot last week, I was still keeping up with the news, keeping up with a lot of stuff that was going on, a lot of announcements made, a lot of trailers came out. So I'm going to get into all of that, the Batgirl announcement that's coming. They finally got who I think is an amazing actress, and I'll get into that. I'll get into the Dune trailer. I'm also going to be talking about the brand new, the first trailer really, for the revival of Dexter, or really the continuation of the Dexter series. And of course, something else that came out today the lineup, the official lineup for the Venice Film Festival. I'll get into what it means going into the next Oscar season and also what it means to the Venice Film Festival and and some of the big films and, and important films to look out for that are coming out in that lineup. But the first thing that I do want to talk about, and even though I've been off for a week, I do always want to start out the week by doing this and talking about it. And that is, of course, recapping the past weekend's box office. And this past weekend, we had two major films come out this weekend. And that, of course, was the brand new film from M. Night Shyamalan, old, and of course we had the kind of revival, hopefully, of the G.I. Joe franchise with an origin film looking into the probably the most iconic G.I. Joe member, and that of course is Snake Eyes, which stars Henry Golding and Samara Weaving. So that was was the other big film to come out this weekend. So a lot of people were wondering, can Snake Eyes, first off, really maybe kind of showcase that the G.I. Joe franchise is a sustainable franchise in live action? action movie telling and can a star like Henry Golding push that over the edge and of course can M. Night kind of sustain this revitalization that he has had in his career over the last couple of years and it seemed like it was a big surprise for a lot of people because many people thought that the the, the G.I. Joe film Snake Eyes could potentially take the number one spot but it was actually the M. Night film Old that took the number one spot at the box office this weekend and it did, did, did well for itself. It didn't it, blow expectations out of the water, I think, in terms of really kind of doing gangbusters numbers and and really, really setting up expectations. But I think it did well for itself in the way that it was able to really just kind of settle everyone's expectations and showcase that M. Night is, does have a, a fan base still that wants to go check out his films whenever he does a brand new film of his. And I just think he this film of his old was able to showcase just that and it did really really well at the box office Old grossed $16 million its opening weekend. And again, that's pretty good for an M. Night film. When you look at Glass and we look at, look at Split, they did pretty well for themselves as well. So I, I think for Old, it was a really good weekend to come out on top with. And so again, it didn't do gangbusters numbers. It didn't really, again, blow the numbers. It didn't gross 30, 40, 50 million dollars. But I think $16.5 million is not too shabby when you're looking at an M. Night film. Again, it's going to have to do really well at the box office in order to kind of kind of respect the the budget that it was given. I don't know necessarily if this is going to be enough for old to sustain itself. And also looking at the cinema score for old, which got a C minus, which again, when you look at the cinema score, it's really what audience members thought as they came out of the theater. So it gives a good indication of where the box office could go in the next couple of weeks. And even though that old won this weekend, I don't think it's going to have a lot of great legs going 
forward because it did get a C minus, which showcases that when audiences came out, they might have been a little disappointed by what they actually saw than what they were maybe advertised when they were looking at the trailers and the TV spots in the last couple of weeks. So I wouldn't be surprised if old drops out of maybe the top three, maybe even the top five, depending on what happens this upcoming week when you have films like Jungle Cruise coming out, even though that is going to be a Disney Plus premiere access path like Cruella and Black Widow have done this past summer. But you also have The Green Knight. You have Stillwater from Matt Damon. So there are some films that I think could come in here and maybe steal some of the thunder from old a little bit. So I would expect a little bit of a drop off for old. But again, for this weekend alone, it was a little bit of a big surprise for, I think, prognosticators to see that old came out on top, especially when you probably had the more IP driven film coming out as well with Snake Eyes, a G.I. Joe origin. And that film really disappointed right out of the gate with 13.3 million dollars this weekend. And again, for a film that reportedly cost 88 million dollars before marketing. And if you've seen the marketing around for this movie, you know that probably Paramount put a lot of money behind this film to really kind of reinvigorate the G.I. Joe franchise. They tried it years ago with Channing Tatum and Dwayne Johnson, and those films didn't do as well. The first one with Channing Tatum did well enough to warrant a sequel a few years later, but nothing that really kind of bolstered, I think, the franchise that Paramount Pictures is looking for this to be. And they thought Henry Golding, being the Snake Eyes, the, the Snake Eyes character, kind of just focusing on this one character and starting to build out its own world could made might have been the trick to do it, but it seems like people just weren't into seeing this film. And, and I think over the last couple of weeks, I wasn't really hearing a lot of buzz for Snake Eyes, really. And, and even though the trailers look really good, I, I was really looking forward to seeing this film. The fight choreography looked really interesting. It seemed like a fun time at the movies. It just it doesn't seem like it translated that well for audience members. So I wonder maybe if this thing hits VOD, PVOD, DVD sales that maybe could become something of a cult classic, but in terms of maybe making a G.I. Joe franchise out of this, I think Paramount might have might have hit the reset button again, and it just didn't really work this time around as well, so fool me one shame on me, fool me twice, where do you go from here? So I think that is what Paramount Pictures is going to be looking with when they see the, these results for Snake Eyes. And then coming in at number three was Marvel Studios Black Widow, which is coming off off of a huge bomb drop of around 70% last week. Again, I wasn't here to talk about it, but Black Widow coming out of its second weekend with the probably the largest drop for a Marvel Studios picture in the same vein as an Ant-Man and the Wasp or Doctor Strange is a is a very, very steep drop. And, and again, there's a lot of speculation of, is that because of Disney premiere access numbers? Is it because of what is happening? Maybe people have already gone out to see the film and, and it's really kind of front-loaded and the people that really wanted to go see it in theaters saw it its first weekend. And because we're still in the middle of a pandemic right now, people were like, you know what? I saw it once. I don't need to see it again. And instead of getting those repeat viewings that we see during opening weekend, we're seeing these big drop-offs instead. And this weekend, Black Widow had not as steep of a drop, but still a pretty steep drop from the its second weekend, grossing around $11 million, a 55% drop from last weekend. It's grossed around $154 million here domestically and did eclipse the $300 million mark worldwide, which again, it, it's this movie is going to have to get to half a billion dollars, $600 million worldwide to maybe re recoup some of its budget and get out of the red. However, I don't know if that's going to be possible, especially when China does not have a release date for this right now. And this is usually a late time for a film to come out into the Chinese market right now. They have their kind of own set of rules of when they allow foreign films from other countries. And even though we're in the United States, we are considered in other countries a foreign entity. So I think for Black Widow, we don't know when they're going to get a release date. And China is a huge market when it comes to Marvel Studios films. I always say it, and I think others would agree as well that if Avengers Endgame, Avengers Endgame would not have done the box office numbers it did if it were not for the Chinese market when it initially came out. So 
I think it just goes to showcase that the, that market is really, really huge for any film. And I think it's showcased over the years how important it's become and how big of a market the Chinese have, the movie industry market has really become. And I think this year is really starting to showcase just how big it really is. And again, you just have to look at the Fast 9 numbers to really kind of see how big it's really gotten. But we'll get into that in a little bit. But to kind of follow up with Black Widow, another film that took a huge steep drop after grossing $31 million last Last weekend and surprising in taking the number one spot over from Black Widow was Space Jam A New Legacy and that also had a steep decline of 69 not million excuse me but 69% drop from its first to second weekend and again I think it just goes to showcase that maybe people might be seeing these films first they really like it but again instead of getting those repeat viewings if we were not in the midst of a pandemic that could really be hurting a film as well and a lot of these big block Busters, they really rely on those repeat viewings a lot of times if they want to keep accumulating all the money that they made in the past. People that really like it the first time want to go see it with their other friends or want to see it with their family or just want to see the film over and over and over again. And I just think for a lot of these films, for the most part, it's just not really happening. And so I wonder if we're going to see that happen with Suicide Squad. I wonder if we're going to see that happen with the next Marvel Studios film with Shang-Chi coming out on Labor Day weekend in about a month or so. So it's going to be very interesting to see if that continues to be a trend and if we have to look at that in a different way of, of, of can a film make the kind of money that it used to make when we're trying to resuscitate the box office right now. But a film that is, I think, probably the biggest success story of the summer so far, other than maybe A Quiet Place Part 2, has been F9 The Fast Saga. I mean, that film really has continued to truck along really, really, really well, and I think it'll be able to retain some of its budget and become a big success for it, even though it won't hit the billion-dollar mark, but it by far and away is the worldwide big success that, that I think a lot of people wanted this film to be, Then it's turned out to be just exactly that. It's grossed 163 million dollars here domestically which again is right around the range even i think pre-pandemic for what a fast a fast and furious film would have done after the first, last couple of films seeing the track record and the numbers domestically that these films are bringing in but worldwide even though again it's not gangbusters i think it showcases that for a lot of foreign countries right now a lot of international communities that even though they're in the midst of a pandemic right now if they really want to see a film if they're really excited about a film if they love a film and the fast and furious franchise certainly qualifies as that they will go see it once twice three times maybe and I think that's what we're seeing with the F9 numbers right now it's gross 600 million dollars worldwide 436 million dollars internationally that's not the United States of America and Canada so I think for F9 it's going to be one of the biggest films of the year depending on how the fall and the winter play out with the way that COVID's looking right now and what's going to happen with other films right now that are coming out so I think this is a really big success story again probably not a billion dollar grossing film but if it makes Hobbs and Shaw numbers, pre-pandemic numbers in that vein, in the midst of this pandemic right now, I think that's really, really good money for F9. And they're playing it really, really well in the way that I think they they strategized the release rollout where they didn't really kind of put it all in one big batch. They didn't do it in sequential weekends. They put it out in the Chinese market first during the Memorial Day weekend here. They then put it out in the United States and other countries on June 25th. And then they're rolling it out in additional foreign countries in the, the weeks leading into August as well. So I think Universal did a really good job with this. And both them and Paramount have really kind of showcased that the exclusive theatrical window does work for big films that people really want to go see these films in theaters and again the same thing can go for a quiet place part two which dipped all the way down to number nine but keep in mind this film has been out in theaters since memorial day weekend in may and now it is since it passes 45 day window it is now premiering also on paramount plus for people to check out as well so there's a lot of different ways to view this film and the fact that it's still in the top 10 is is, is a really really good sign and also the fact that 
It only has around $290 million worldwide. However, when you look at the budget for this film, it's done really, really well for itself. So I think for A Quiet Place Part 2, again, I think F9 and A Quiet Place Part 2 are the two. As of right now, we have to see how August plays out. But right now, they are two of the biggest success stories in this new era of movie going that we have right now in the midst of the pandemic, and especially for the summer of 2021. And I know some people are going to say, well, Sam, what about Black Widow? Isn't that considered a success story? Yes, you could say that, but however, it is having some troubles, again, with the, the Disney Plus Premier Access. Is that having an issue with getting people to go see it in theaters, especially during that opening weekend? It made a lot of money on Premier Access that maybe could have been the numbers that put it over the top to $100 million. And then it had its second week drop, and F9 and, and Quiet Place Part 2 had drops, but not as significant as Black Widow did. So there, there's a lot of variables in place here, but I think it, it showcases that certain blockbusters are what people want to see right now, and I think for some people, if they have options to watch it at home, maybe they'll do that for repeat viewings after going to see it in theaters, so there's just, I think, a lot of variables in place right now when it comes to the box office, but again, it, it, it was a good weekend, not, not a great weekend, I think this weekend wasn't great, but it's going to be very interesting to see what happens moving forward, especially this upcoming weekend with Jungle Cruise. Is that going to make Cruella numbers or is it going to follow the same vein as Black Widow did? Is it going to do well at the box office while also doing well on Disney Premier Access? So there's a lot of questions coming up with this last bit that Disney's doing with their Premier Access as of right now. And then of course, we have the Suicides coming out the week, the week after, which is also doing day and date release. So it's going to be very interesting to see where the box office lies and how well these films actually do. So what do you guys think about the box office this weekend? And just to kind of wrap wrap up the the rest of the top 10 at number six was the sequel to escape room escape room tournament of champions made three million dollars this weekend grossing a domestic accumulation of 16 million dollars you had the number seven spot going to the boss baby family business grossing another 2.7 million dollars that's gross around 50 million dollars domestically which isn't as good considering the fact that in its opening weekend when the first film came out Boss Baby did around $50 million domestically, around 50 to $40 million domestically in its first weekend. So not the same kind of Game Busters numbers that maybe warranted this sequel from Universal. Then coming in at number eight, you have The Forever Purge grossing another $2.3 million, coming in at $40 million. Then of course, at number nine, you had A Quiet Place Part Two, And then at number 10, you had the Anthony Bourdain documentary, Roadrunner, coming in at $830,000. So this weekend, once again, we did have around nine out of the 10 top box office spots grossing over a million dollars except for that number 10 spot so again that's a good sign that people are going to the theaters as before even when when a quiet place part two came out and cruella came out half of that top top 10 was still grossing a little over a thousand dollars other than maybe a couple of films in the top five so the fact that the top 10 is pretty much 95 98 percent back to grossing over a million dollars is a very very good sign so we'll see if that continues moving forward now that we have some anticipated films that are going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks as well. But what did you guys think about this weekend's box office? Let me know what you thought about the Snake Eyes numbers, the old numbers. Do you think that old will take a big weekend drop next weekend with the cinema score? Also with Snake Eyes, what do you think is going to happen with that film, with the numbers for Black Widow, with F9, A Quiet Place Part 2? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. And now moving away from the box office and moving on to some, well, not some, but one big trending trailer that I do want to get into right now. And that is, of course, the highly anticipated sci-fi flick that was supposed to come out last year, but will instead be coming out in October of this year. And that, of course, is Denny Villeneuve's adaptation of the novel Dune. And Dune is a film that is very much in the vein of, it seems like, Star Wars meets Game of Thrones and Star Trek. And for a lot of people who have read the novel, who are hardcore sci-fi lovers, the really the, the, the godfather of sci-fi is this dune is it was the the it was you could consider it the the spring off point for what we now know to be the star wars franchise and star trek and game of thrones and
all these different things that kind of come together with this film. And of course, you have a great director and thanks for film buffs. You have a great director attached to it that uh, to me, he is the second best director in the world right now, right behind Christopher Nolan, who's the, the, to me the, still the best director in the game right now. But Dan, Denny Villeneuve is right on his heels. He does no wrong. And of course, for, I think for a lot of people, including cinephiles, including for mainstream audience members, if they're really interested in this film, they have an A-list cast to go alongside of it. You have people to grab the the younger generation, like Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya and, jo- and well, Josh Brolin too, but you also have Jason Momoa. You also have people that can relate to Oscar Isaac, Rebecca Ferguson, Stellan Skarsgård, Dave Bautista's in this as well, Javier Bardem. It's, it's an incredible, incredible cast. And I think for a lot of people were impressed with that first trailer, especially if you saw it in theaters. It just, it blew you away for what they could have done with this film and what, they, what they're hoping to do in attracting audiences to watch this movie. And I think going into this trailer, I was really excited to see more of the story, the interactions between characters. And I think we got all that and a whole lot more. The, the cinematography is absolutely gorgeous. The, the, the set pieces and the designs are just absolutely incredible. I love the story that it's telling where it's about these houses giving that kind of Game of Thrones style and kind of the, this this chess game that they're playing on this planet of Atreides and, and, and dealing with this spice and, and how it's really about kind of power and, and, and consuming and, and, and tragedy and betrayal. It has all these different kind of workings to become this huge huge epic that I know Denny Villeneuve can create. And if there really is one person that you would trust wholeheartedly with this, given his resume, it's, it is a guy like Denny. And if you look at, at a sci-fi film like Arrival, or if you look at a at a tragedy like Prisoners with Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal, or a crime thriller in Sicario, it, it just or, or, or another sci-fi epic in Blade Runner 2049, he knows what he is doing. And this just continues to show the evolution of how great of a director Denny Villeneuve is and I know for Warner Brothers they are hoping to make this a big franchise moving forward that this film is a spring off for the second part of the the, the Dune story that they want to tell I know that they want to create a spinoff show for HBO Max They're, they want to do so many different things with this franchise and and that gets me a little bit nervous because as we've seen when it comes to other studios trying to mimic the Marvel Cinematic Universe in a way they always say we have all these great grand plans for after the first film but you want to make sure that that first film is a huge success and as much as I love Denny Villeneuve there is a little bit of hesitancy in the fact that his last film Blade Runner 2049 as much as that is a masterpiece it is a phenomenal movie it did not do that well at the box office it, it right out right out right it was a bomb it was a straight up bomb and when it came out in I believe it was 2018 and it just did not do well unfortunately even though it had big stars like Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford and also had the up-and-comer Ana de Armas who really blew up in 2019 with Knives Out. So I think there's a little bit of hesitancy when it comes to this in the fact that Warner Brothers is putting a lot of money into this. Reportedly, it has a budget of $165 million, which is which is huge for a film like Dune. It isn't as much as the the Blade Blade Runner 2049 which had around 185 million dollar budget so there is a little bit of wiggle room for Denis Villeneuve but can this film attract enough audience members to want to watch this film and it's not going to be helped out much by the pandemic because even pre-pandemic this film needed every single seat every single eyeball it possibly needed to warrant more films from this and I think because this is really going to be a the a first parter really and that leads into a second part because the one thing that I think Denny Villeneuve is doing right here as well is is telling this in, in two parts really and when you look at the David Lynch film that came out in the 80s that was very much a, a one film but there was so much content in that first book alone that it's really tough to tell it in one whole movie and Denny Villeneuve is trying to extend it out for a lot longer than that so it, hopefully that it can warrant to finishing out the story in a second part if the, the box office does 
does well and, and how many eyes can this thing attract to HBO Max because as it was shown with apparently in the heights is that a film if a film does not do well in theaters it will not get the same kind of eyeballs on HBO Max because a lot of people thought that well because in the heights did not do well at the box office maybe it meant that people went to go see it on HBO Max and according to the people that work at HBO Max that follow these numbers that that is not the the strategy or the formula that is when it comes to success of these films on a streaming service so I think it's going to need every single eyeball it possibly can. It has a lot of stuff going for it right now. And again, you're going to get the hardcore franchise guys, the hardcore sci-fi fans to go and watch this film. But you're going to have to get the mainstream audience to watch this as well. And you have that marketing aspect of marketing these big up-and-coming stars like a Zendaya, like a Timothy Chalamet, a Momoa, an Oscar Isaac, and a Rebecca Ferguson, and really get them out there and showcase that you have these big stars come watch this film, experience it, and maybe... Maybe it gets people not just to fall in love with these characters but all, and these actors that are playing them, but also makes them fall in love with what you were telling on the screen as well. But when it came to the trailer, I loved what I saw. I, I love the, the how grounded it feels, but it's very much clearly sci-fi. But I love the characters. I love the worlds that they're building in this. I really think that this could be kind of the, the crescendo for Denny Villeneuve. Not that he's going to retire from filmmaking anytime soon, but everything he's been working up towards has been to make a movie like Dune right now. And if he wants to kind of get, I think, to that blockbuster filmmaking aspect like Christopher Nolan has, he needs a success like Dune to really kind of be built up as anticipated as it is and really deliver at the box office. Because again, I think he is the second best director to me, even though some of his films don't do well financially. I think every single film that I've, I've ever seen him do, from Prisoners to Sicario to Blade Runner 2049 to Arrival, it's just been knockout after knockout at or knockout at out of the park home runs with his movies, which is why I think he's second to, to Christopher Nolan because of just Nolan has just been an innovator. He's a box office success story. People go see films because it's Christopher Nolan. And unfortunately, Denny Villeneuve does not have that credibility just yet. But I hope one day he does reach that because I think this guy is just absolutely outstanding. He deserves Oscar nominations as well. So I'm really, really holding out hope for Denny Villeneuve here. And, and I really want to see him knock it out of the park with this. I think he will. And I hope people go out and see this film and give him that financial credibility that I think can put him right, tie him right up there and make it 1A, 1B with Christopher Nolan, at least for me, on my list. But what do you guys think about the trailer for Dune? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. Are you excited about this film? Are you not that excited about this film? Let me know and leave your thoughts. And now, guys, it's time to move over from the sci-fi world into the world of DC. And speaking of In the Heights, as I mentioned in my Dune talk just a little bit ago, there was a, a big, big announcement that came last week in the form of the official casting for a Batgirl in the DC universe. And last week, it started off, in the beginning of the week, started off with rumors that they were down. Warner Brothers and DC were down a 4 leading actresses to take over the role of Barbara Gordon. And it seemed like they were able to whittle it down enough that they were able to hone in on their leading actress. And the one woman who's taking over the role of Barbara Gordon is Nina herself from In the Heights. Leslie Grace will be taking over the role of Batgirl in the DC universe. She'll be starring in her own film that will be premiering on HBO Max in the next couple of years. And I remember when I heard the news that there were four actresses that were being named, specifically really three. There was one that was initially in the running, but then she kind of, it seemed like she was out of it after a little bit. But there were really three actresses that were down to getting this role. And it was Leslie Grace, who officially got it. It was also Zoe Dutch. And it was also Isabella Merced from films like Transformers The Last Night and also family business with Mark Wahlberg. She's a really good up-and-coming actress that I think will one day get her own franchise soon. Unfortunately, just wasn't this role. But I do think that it came down for me personally. It came down to Zoe Dutch and Leslie Grace. I just think 
Isabel Merced is a little bit too young for that role. I can understand why they would want that hiring. You want to be able to not just showcase that this this is a, a white girl that can take on this role, but also that it can be diverse in any kind of way possible. And that, that showcase with Leslie Grace, I just think the one knock against Isabel Merced is that she's just a little too young. And I think for Barbara Gordon, if she was playing maybe somebody who one day could take on the Batgirl mantle and then becomes Batgirl in a few films down the line and you see her kind of grow up, then I could see that happen. But right off the bat, I just think she's a little too young for that sense. I think Barbara Gordon, when she becomes Batgirl, is a little bit more mature. She's a little bit more grown up, living on her own, trying to make it out in Gotham City. And I think Zoe Dutch or Leslie Grace both fit that a little bit more and a little bit older, but they also kind of are a lot younger as well, where if you want to make this a franchise, it's really well done. They can have them for a set of movies, whether it's a trilogy or a set of films in the DCEU down the line as well. So it came down to me for Zoe Dutch and Leslie Grace. And I think either one of those actresses would have been perfect. I think Zoe Dutch is the right age. She, she fits the role of Batgirl really well. I could really see her playing a really good Barbara Gordon. And the same thing with Leslie Grace as well. They're both beautiful and gorgeous and 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 I think they're they're physically fit as well. They they fit that role as well and they're both tremendous actresses. I think for Zoe Dutch when you've seen the stuff that she's done down the line She's funny, but she's sensitive and, and emotional, and she can bring out some really good stuff within the scenes as well. And the same thing with with Leslie Grace. I mean, she really, I think, stole the spotlight in in the Heights as Nina. And again, she was funny, she was sweet, but she was vulnerable and emotional, and she really brought out the best in the actors and actresses that she played alongside with in that film as well. I love the scenes that she played with with Corey Hawkins, who I think is a really good actor as well. So she did she did a really, really good job and she really, I think, stole the spotlight in that film. And I wouldn't be surprised that Warner Brothers wants to continue working with her. And it seemed like she knocked it out of the park to get this role. And I think she, to me, is my preferred Batgirl. And I, and I love seeing her as this in this role. And now the question kind of becomes, is this film going to to be set within the legitimate DCEU or is this going to be kind of set within the multiverse of of the 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 quote not not excuse but the the pivot that DC can make at this point where if they want to do multiple projects, they can just say, well, this is in its own universe, in the multiverse of the DCEU. It's not set out on the main earth with Jason Momoa and Ezra Miller and Gal Gadot. It's somewhere else separate, kind of like the Batman that Matt Reeves is doing. So is that going to be what this Batgirl is going to be? Or is this going to be set within the the DCEU, the main DCEU? I know there are reports coming out that, that Warner Brothers might be looking to recast the Commissioner Gordon role of that J.K. Simmons played in the Justice League films. Also, could it be something where maybe this is a Batgirl within within the Matt Reeves universe? Maybe you get Jeffrey Wright to play the father to Barbara Gordon. I think that would be an incredible dynamic to see Leslie Grace and Jeffrey Wright play off of each other would be awesome. But is that going to fit or is this going to be something else entirely? So uh, to me, that's the question of, of what is going to happen with this film. But when it comes to Leslie Grace, uh, again, I'm very happy for her. She deserves this. I think she's going to do a tremendous job. I love that it is, again, a diversity hire, but it's not a, a diversity hire because it's to be a diversity hire. It's, it's a hire that showcases inclusion, that it's the fact that we don't, we're not seeing the comic books because it's a white mid-20s kind of girl. We see somebody who can pull off Batgirl and we don't see her just because she's a Latina woman. She's a Latina woman, but she also has the skill set of being vulnerable and, and embodying the things that we love to see in, in Barbara Gordon. I, and, and, and I'm happy that the casting unit really found that. And I'm really happy that they were like, that's that's who we see. She's, she's not white. Well, she can't be in it. She's Latino. She has those vulnerabilities. I'm sure she showcased them in the Heights. She's an amazing singer. She's an amazing actress. So I think this is a really good showcase for her. And I'm really excited that she gets to showcase that with this Batgirl film. And also the fact that working with two awesome directors in the, the Bad Boys for Life guys who are going to be directing this film for HBO Max is I think really, really exciting. So I'm really excited to see the chemistry that they have together and, and how they're able to bounce ideas off of one another and work offset with one another. It's gonna be really, really exciting. So I'm really looking forward to this film. What I'd like to see this film in theaters, definitely, especially if it's going to have two feature film guys, an actress who's in feature films, 
having it on HBO Max, I guess I understand because Batgirl isn't part of the Trinity or it's not a big villain or it's not Aquaman or The Flash or any of these guys, but... I just think that that kind of film, when you have that kind of talent around it, deserves to be put on the feature films. And maybe after the first film, maybe this is a test for HBO Max where people really like this film on the streaming service. Maybe they decide, you know what? They got a lot of popularity on it. Let's, if we want to make a sequel or something along those lines that this film does well, we can put it in theaters potentially. So I, I remain to hold out hope that maybe one day HBO Max or this, this franchise, hopefully if it does become a franchise, can be put on the big screen as well because I would love to see that for the Batgirl franchise but really happy for Leslie Grace I think she's gonna kill it I'm really happy for her she deserves this I love the hire I think if it was between her Zoe Dutch I would have been fine with either one so I'm happy that Leslie Grace came out on top for this role what do you think about the announcement and casting of Leslie Grace as Batgirl. What do you think? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. And now I want to move on from the DC universe and go to a completely different topic now in going to festival season. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, festival season is really, really upon us. We just had the Cannes Film Festival about a week or two ago. And now we're gonna get into really kind of the big run of festivals that were really gonna help shape up what we could get for this next awards season run. It all starts off, of course, with the Venice Film Festival. And today the festival announced its lineup for what we can expect coming out of this year's run of films and there's a bunch that are out of competition that are some big films that weren't there last year because of the pandemic and we also have some in competition films that we could really see play out well for this award season and the the ones that are out of in competition first that i want to talk about the first one is the diana prince film starring kristen stewart which is spencer which is going to be taking place over this three week this three-day weekend in winster in which is really kind of the last weekend before diana and charles announce that they are getting a divorce and the big headline of course with this one is that we are having an american actress play the princess herself and kristen stewart and there's been photos coming around now official looks of kind of images of kristen stewart as princess diana she looks incredible the makeup looks kind of uncanny she resembles a young beautiful diana and now it's really of course how is she going to play this and actual visuals and, and how she's going to sound how she's going to look the mannerisms this is i think going to be kristen stewart's biggest role to date because it's not just about her playing this iconic character but she could get potential awards credibility out of this as well a lot of people have been speculating that maybe she could be somebody who is in contention to get a best actress nomination out of this just like natalie portman did with the director who is directing spencer he also directed in jackie which came out a few years ago and that earned natalie portman an oscar nomination as well so people are wondering if the same thing holds well for kristen stewart this time around as well and it, it just looks like it could be uh, or from what i've heard it sounds like it could be a really interesting film so I'm really excited to see this one and the fact that it's playing first at the Venice Film Festival, it's premiering there, gives credibility that that Neon and the people over there have a lot of confidence within this film and that they have a lot of confidence within Kristen Stewart, within the direction of this movie that they think could really bode well for getting starting off with a lot of positive buzz. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see this film play at Toronto this year and kind of build that momentum going into the early days of award season, of Oscar season this time around. And of course, we also have the directorial debut of Maggie Gyllenhaal, who was one of the jurors at Cannes this year. And she was talking about that a little bit on the press for at the at the French Riviera. And it's called The Lost Daughter. So we're going to be seeing that come out as well. The Car Counter starring Oscar Isaac, which I've heard a lot about and was hearing over the last year details surrounding that film. That could be another potential award season competitor as well coming right out of the gate. And then there were a lot of big films playing out of competition and Basically, what that means is you have the in-competition films that will be competing for the Golden Lion, which was kind of the the big spring-off point for Nomadland last year, which started its run to Oscar glory. And then, of course, the year prior to that in 2019 – 
you had Joker win the Golden Lion as well. And that, of course, springboarded the Joker to winning two Academy Awards for Best Score and for Best Actor. And it was the most nominated film coming out of the 2019 Academy Awards. So Venice is very important. Basically, in competition means you are competing for that Golden Lion for multiple awards that are handed out at the film festival. And you and then you'll have films that will play out of competition. Usually, you'll have the bigger blockbuster films that want to start getting pressed out early for the film, but they're they're too big to be competing for with a lot of the smaller films that are coming out as well. And there's a really great lineup of films that are going to be coming, playing out of competition this year that are some of the biggest, most anticipated films for the fall season this year. And of course, you're starting out with Halloween Kills, which is the next film in the, the new trilogy that'll be coming out with Jamie Lee Curtis and directed by David Gordon Green. We've had a trailer already come out for that film. It looks great. So it'll be premiering at at the Venice Film Festival, which again, when you have films like that saying that they're going to be premiering at these prestigious film festivals in competition or out of competition, I think it shows a lot of great confidence that they that the studios realize we have something really good on our hands and we want to get it out there as quickly as possible to start spreading the word on these films. And then you also have The Last Duel, which just premiered a trailer in the last week or so, directed by Ridley Scott. It's the first time since since the 90s when when Ben Affleck and Matt Damon wrote the screenplay for Good Will Hunting that they're reuniting just not on screen, but also off screen in writing the script for this film as well. It has Matt Damon, it has Adam Driver in it, it has Jodie Comer, who's really in her first dramatic role since Killing Eve. Her first major film is debuting in a couple of weeks with Free Guy, but this is gonna be the film that I think will show the range that people might be missing if they're not watching Killing Eve with Sandra Oh and Jodie Comer. So a big couple, a big end of the year is set up for Jodie Comer with both Free Guy and of course The Last Duel. You also have Ben Affleck coming into this role as well. And there was of course a big story that Ben Affleck and Matt Damon were supposed to be playing these friends turned enemies, but instead they Ben Affleck took a more of a supporting role, and then they brought in Adam Driver to play that co-starring role alongside Matt Damon. And, and even though I didn't review the, tra- the the trailer that came out last week, I do got to say I think it was for the best, and it seems like pairing Adam Driver and Matt Damon together seems like it worked really, really well and, and all really worked in, in, in placing the right people in the right roles for that film. And of course, Ridley Scott's coming into this to this film and it seems like he just created another great medieval epic that he has on his hands akin to something like the gladiator it looks great it looks personal and affectionate and again it showcases the confidence that 20th century studios has in this film that they want to get the word out as quickly as possible with this film and get the ball rolling on some potential awards possibilities for that film and then of course another big one that people always thought was going to premiere in in festivals even last year when it was initially set to come out was Denny Villeneuve's Dune, and a lot of people think that this is going to be not just an Academy Award competitor for best visual effects, best production design, but could really feature some big competitors for those above-the-line categories and best picture, best director, maybe the acting categories, and Warner Brothers wants to get the word on out on this as quickly as possible. So again, you have this premiering at the end of August, early September. Dune's not supposed to premiere until October 22nd, so you have a good two-month two window of building up that buzz getting people excited and anticipating this film if the reviews hit really well coming out of Venice. And again, usually if studios feel confident about the film, they're not going to put out something horrific that could really, really not do well at the film festival. But again, even though I'm saying that, sometimes there are films that do premiere at festivals and they don't do really well. The latest example of that was in 2019 when The Goldfinch came out. A lot of people thought that could have been a huge awards contender. And then, unfortunately, it came out and the reviews really were just awful for it. And it completely destroyed any kind of awards notion that that film had whatsoever. So sometimes you'll get those films that people, that studios think could do really well, but then just really just fall and and hit themselves on the face without really knowing it. So again, even though I'm saying that studios feel confident about putting these films out, they want to get the word out. Once in a while, sometimes those films just will not hit. So I wanted to make sure I put that out there before just continue to go in on the soliloquy about all these films that the studios have confidence about, which means that we should have confidence that it's going to be really, really good as well. But again, eight to nine, eight, eight times out of 10, 
you're going to get a lot of these films do really, really well and are really great films that come out of these film festivals that we think they're going to be. And the other one that I think a lot of people are anticipating is the new Edgar Wright film, The Last Night in Soho, which is huge because this is the first time that an Edgar Wright film is going to premiere at premiering, excuse me, at the Venice Film Festival at any major film festival right now. So for him to put this film out there, it looks completely different than anything Edgar Wright has ever done before. It looks scary. It seems like this is his his Alfred Hitchcockian kind of film that he's coming out with. It looks great. The acting looks incredible. The production design, it all looks fantastic. So I'm really happy that that Edgar feels confident about this, that the studios feel really confident about this, and that they want to get the word out for it as quickly as possible. But again, all these films, I'm really excited to look forward to. If, if I had to put out two that I'm really curious to see how they do at the Venice Film Festival in terms of, of buzz, and especially for this one film that's in competition. It's the the Diana Prince film, Spence, Spencer, which I'm very much looking forward to seeing how that does, given all the hype that's surrounding Kristen Stewart, surrounding this film, an American playing a, a very well-known, legendary, iconic figure in, in the United Kingdom. And then, of course, it's The Last Duel, which, again, I remember hearing the logline for this and, and thinking it's Ben Affleck, it's Matt Damon as screenwriters. I love them together. You have Ridley Scott coming onto this film. But then hearing the premise, it was just like, oh, really? That's what this film's going to be about? And the logline for it sounded a little hokey. And, and just like, how are you going to play this? But man, I mean, the trailer looked, again, epic and personal and just disturbing. And I love what they were doing with this film. And, and, and according to Matt Damon, and this film is going to kind of be playing like a um like it's going to be playing like 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 a seven samurai like like a shawarman like like a kurosawa movie where you have different perspectives going on in this movie and i'm really really excited to see what they're able to do with it again damon and affleck screenwriting again you know what they can do behind the scenes so i'm really looking forward to seeing that as well so those two are the ones that i'm really looking forward to coming out of the venice film festival and one that was notably absent was another ridley scott film that is set to come out later this year that could also have some huge awards implications as well and that is another film that is starring Adam Driver alongside Ridley Scott and that is The House of Gucci which is also set to star Lady Gaga in her second major role after Star is Born and also has it has Jared Leto it has Al Pacino it has a really good cast it, it's about Gucci and in that in that fashion design world I think people are really looking forward to seeing what that film is going to be and so Ridley Scott could have a really big year this year, especially award season year, with both House of Gucci and The Last Duel. But they said it's not complete yet, and that it could probably potentially be ready for something like a Toronto, which I think would fit a lot better for House of Gucci than than Venice. And I also think for Ridley Scott, it would probably be better to focus on one film at Venice. And then as if The Last Duel does get really the kind of high positive reviews that we hope it gets, then at TIFF, maybe you get Last Duel to premiere there as well, but you also get the House of Gucci to have its premiere. So you get a little bit of time passing between TIFF and Venice. Not a lot of time, but maybe like a week, week and a half. And sometimes buzz can carry that much and then you get ready for the next film. But I'm very much looking forward to the Venice Film Festival. Having all these films back it's great hopefully everybody's safe and it seems like they want to start this new era of the festival the right way after last year especially so we'll see what happens but a lot of great films both playing in competition and out of competition and i'm excited to see where this all leads to what do you guys think about the venice film festival which film are you excited to see maybe i didn't list a film on here because again i just highlighted the notable films that are coming out there's a lot of other films that are hitting both out of competition in competition short films non-fiction films there's a whole bunch of stuff coming out of Venice this year that I that I didn't really point out but if you guys have something that you guys want to point out hit it down below in the comment section and let me know and I'll definitely keep my eye out for it as well but the final thing that I want to focus on today on the Sam Bissell podcast is talking about the first brand new trailer for Dexter New Blood, which is kind of the, not it's not a spinoff, it's not a reboot, it's a sequel to the original Dexter television show. It is continuing from the controversial ending of season eight from a few years ago, and it sees Michael C. Hall returning to playing the serial killer that we all know and shockingly still love to this day, and it takes place 10 years after after 
the events of the season eight finale. And this trailer did premiere during the Comic-Con at home convention this past weekend. And unfortunately, I don't think it was really buzzing all that much. I love Comic-Con. It usually holds a special place in my heart, especially taking up a full weekend. And I just think unfortunately with these at home virtual events, it just doesn't have that same coverage and same feeling. But there were still some things that I think people could check out, especially on the television side. There was a lot of stuff, not so much on the film side, but you got some cool stuff if you're a Walking Dead fan, and you also got some cool stuff from Dexter, which I think was really kind of the big thing to come out of Comic-Con at home this weekend, and I really enjoyed the trailer for this this new limited series run for Dexter. It definitely has a different type of feeling than the original television show had, which I think is great because I think even though you want to keep consistent with what fans know and love, you want to make it a little bit different, and I think if you have a different kind of visual palette, because with Miami and Florida, it's got this fun, shiny, vibrant kind of feeling to it. And, and that's what the original Dexter had, but it seems like with this one, it's taking place more in upstate New York. And you know, upstate New York is usually cold and, and there's it's a lot it's a lot less of summer vibes than the original Dexter is. So you have those blue tints to it, that, that color hue is a little bit different. It has kind of the, the aspect ratio that feels more cinematic than the than the original Dexter did. So I like the visual differences of these two that we're getting showcasing that even though they're continuing the story they are very much different and take place years apart from one another and again it's going to be it's going to contain 10 episodes it's going to be as far as we know right now it's going to be kind of its own story that is fully does a good job of servicing the Dexter character because I think for fans and I and even Michael C. Hall said it as well things were definitely a little off after the season 8 finale which was the series finale at that point it ended Dexter's story and it just left a bad taste in our mouths. I think for people that love that show, and it, it really was a great show for a certain period of time, one of the best shows on television, it just didn't feel like the best way to have that show kind of ride off into the sunset. And Michael C. Hall agrees with that. He wants to kind of redo that ending and continue the, the show and the journey, but also deliver a, a finale that is well-deserving for the fans and for the character of the of this show and for everyone involved with this show. And I think the one thing to give a lot of people confidence in this is that the original showrunner, Clyde Phillips, who left around the season five run, is coming back to this to this run of Dexter. And he was the showrunner from season one to season four during that phenomenal run of Dexter that really solidified it as one of the best shows on television alongside things such as Mad Men and Sopranos. It really was up there with a lot of these different shows. And I think for him, to, for them to come back and to do this is exciting. And I think it showcases that they want to bring back what made Dexter so special for a lot of people. And as much as I like some of the other seasons of Dexter, I know... I started watching it live weekly during season seven. And, and to me, I really like that that season of Dexter. But season five, season six, season eight were definitely not the best seasons of Dexter compared to the first four. So to have the original showrunner back, to get the pulse of the show back onto this run is exciting. You got potentially John Lithgow coming back as Trinity Killer for a little bit. Jennifer Carpenter is going to be coming back as Dexter's sister. So you're definitely getting a nostalgic feeling to it while also telling a different story set in a new environment that could be really exciting and new and kind of maybe conclude the story of Dexter that we always wanted to see. So I'm really excited about this. I really think this could be something special and, and amazing to watch when it comes out on November 7th. And I'm really hoping that they really stick to landing on this and having the original showrunner back. I think he has an idea for how he wants to end this and do it right. And I, and I hope that is the kind of thing that they are able to do. So what did you think about the Dexter trailer? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. But guys, with that down and out of the way, everybody, that will do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and so much more. Also, be sure to tune in on to the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out goal-driven professionals, geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. 
Also, along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, WrestleMania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com. Also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Kennedy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Bissell Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And on Facebook at Sam Bissell. You can also check out my YouTube channel at The Sam Bissell Podcast. So once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep on screening.